This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. On to our guest, Claire Lopez. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. So glad to be with you and, and all of your uh, watchers, listeners. It's great to have you on. Now, I was uh, looking through your bio. I've seen uh, quite a number of things you put out on, on Twitter. Um, and I've um, known of Frank Gaffney and his work for many years. So I've seen your work there. But look, just uh, looking through some of your bio. So in from 2014 to 2020, you served as VP for Research and Analysis at the Centre for Security Policy. You've been the Senior Fellow at the London Centre for Policy Research. Um, in 2016, you were named to Senator Ted Cruz's Presidential Campaign National Security Advisory Team. You've been an instructor on Iran, Hezbollah and the Red-Black-Green Axis for Understanding the Threat. Um, you're former vice president of the Intelligence Summit. Uh, you're with the CIA, a career operations officer with the CIA for 20 years. Um, and it goes on and on. I had to read it a number of times. There is so much packed in. I was looking through some of your books that you've written. So Sharia, The Threat to America. Uh, you wrote The Gulen Movement, Turkey's Islamist Islamic supremacist cult and its contributor contributions to civilization jihad, the secure freedom uh, strategy, a plan for victory over the global jihad movement, see no Sharia, and on to ally no more on Turkey. So I see the focus has been on uh, Turkey and Islam in general. So thank you so much. Uh, do you? Can I first ask you to just introduce yourselves? I've, I've touched on some of the things and uh, obviously you're based over in the States and uh, our viewers are mainly in the UK. So would you like to just take a few minutes and introduce yourselves before we jump into the issues at hand? Sure. Thank you. So uh, I am Claire Lopez and um, I do live in the United States uh, in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, and my first um, professional focus uh, was Russia, at the time Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, uh, as you say, I worked um, at the CIA for about 20 years, and that was with a focus on Russia mm -hmm. uh, through all that time. Ten years was before the collapse of the Soviet Union, ten years after. Uh, and what I will say is that when the Soviet Union broke up, in 1991, we all thought, okay, great, we've won the Cold War. Uh, they are no more. Well, the Soviet Union may not have been anymore, but communism and Marxism and the KGB sure were, and, and they are with us still to this day with ramifications that I think we'll get into talking about. Um, I've done a lot of contracting with um, different companies as an intelligence uh, analyst, and I've also worked in the think tank world um, in and around Washington, D.C., done a lot of uh, training um, courses for U.S. law enforcement uh, and also military. And um, let's see, I have been independent now um, for the last year or so. 
at Lopez Liberty LLC. Still working on a website. Uh, it's on its way. It's under development, but stay tuned for that. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, I am uh, published in places like Newsmax.com, where I have a blog, uh, Citizens Commission on National Security, the United West, of course, and its partner, Sharia Crime Stoppers. Um, also, the um, Worldview Weekend with Brandon Howes, uh, and also American Truth Project. So if I've skipped anything, maybe I'll think of it again, but also on social media, at Claire M. Lopez on both Twitter and Facebook for the moment. For the moment. We'll see how long that goes. Well, I've uh, put your handle there, at uh, Claire M. Lopez, and I hope we get back on parlor soon. I heard Dan Bongino talking about it would be Monday, but Monday came and went. So mm-hmm. I hope that gets up again. But you mentioned on Twitter, I was looking through uh, some of your recent quotes on Twitter, trying to get a flavour of what you had been talking about and putting out. And you talked about Antifa attacking diners in Washington, D.C. And of course, you're in D.C. and um, everything that's been happening there recently, you'll have been watching where we get to watch Newsmax or OAN. You're living it. Um, but then you talk about Iran regime having nuclear weapon programs since the 80s. Talked about Sarah Huckabee Saunders announcing her run for Arkansas governor, which would be fantastic if she got that. Uh, Bank of America secretly handing over private customer data to the FBI. And I've seen a number of things with Tucker Carlson talking about that, and it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1776 Commission Director abolishing the commission won't get rid of these principles. And that's about patriotic education in America, which, of course, Biden got rid of that commission. Uh, Biowarfare and weaponization of medicine amid COVID. Uh, Tremble and obey barbarians, showing how the CCP thinks of current U.S. leadership. And on Monday, we've got uh, Jack Posobiec coming on. So he'll be talking specifically about the Chinese Communist Party's infiltration in the UK in every area. And America's Republic no more, but an obloquy ruled by Marxist elites who despise the common man. So quite a range. And I think most of those would certainly fit in with our viewers. But I was wondering, how are you still on Twitter, Claire? (laughs) Well, I I tried um, to be uh, factual. Um, I don't engage in polemics or uh, really in party politics because that's not my thing. Um, I also try to stay away from any kind of ad hominem attacks. Others do that, um, but I, I don't. And I try to stick to to topics, to to topics related to national security that I think are important. And you know, I talked about beginning my career with a focus on the Soviet Union and Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, of course, in the interim comes along 9-11, and my interest and my focus at that point turned to the Middle East, and I developed an expertise on Islam and jihad and Sharia, that is Islamic law, um, and particularly on uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, and its uh, multiple WMD programs. I say multiple because it's not just a nuclear weapons program. It's also a very scary an advanced uh, biological and also chemical weapons program and the ballistic missiles to carry it all. Um, But then more recently, um, with a little more extra time on my hands this past year of 2020, I did a deep dive uh, into China, which I had never focused on before, but found it fascinating and did all of the reading that I should have done a long time ago. 
um, of course, beginning with Sun Tzu and, and uh, The Art of War, and uh, some of our American uh, top authors, uh, in, in my uh, estimation anyway, like Michael Pillsbury uh, at the, um, the uh, Hudson Institute, who wrote The 100-Year Marathon. Um, I read Gordon Chang and watch his interviews, of course. Um, I've read Newt Gingrich's book, uh, General Robert Spaulding's book, uh, Stephen Mosier's book. I am just now finishing uh, Henry Kissinger's magnum opus. I mean, it is it is yay thick, over <laughs> over 500 pages long, but well worth the read. Uh, published in 2011, uh, just to to see his thinking at that point. Now you know, nine, ten years in the past about China. It's a very, very good book for, for anyone interested in, in China and, and um, you know, the, the policies of the United States going back to the Nixon presidency. And that's, of course, when Kissinger uh, and our President Nixon made the overture, the opening to China. So all of that, um, you know, has, has uh, come into my area of interest. And that's why you'll see so much of that uh, on my social media feeds. Mm. Before we um, want to talk about big tech and the revenge of big tech, which we have talked about, and then into Islam, but can I just ask you uh, about Iran? Obviously, my uh, concern has been uh, been quite pro-Israel, and obviously, with in the, the under Trump, that there were restrictions in Iran on their uh, on their nuclear weapons development and. Uh, Trump being very pro-Israel, but the concern is that obviously under Biden that that's all relaxed and uh, that Iran threatens that relative stability there is and has been um, certainly from how I see it uh, with Israel in the Middle East. So what are your thoughts on how that will develop? Well, uh, let's start with a look backwards perhaps first and um, the current Iranian regime's nuclear weapons program began in the late 1980s, mm. uh, when the last uh, year of, uh, of the Ayatollah Khomeini's uh, life, uh, during that last year, and also the last year of the horrific Iran-Iraq war. And uh, Khomeini and his leadership decided they could never be in such a position that the country was threatened. Uh, really, they didn't know for a, a while if they were going to you know, persevere if they were going to survive that war. Mm. They could never be in that position again. And essentially Khomeini told his uh, IRGC, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, get the bomb. Mm. And what they did in the late 80s then is they went to A.Q. Khan, father of the Pakistani bomb, so-called, went to Islamabad and uh, and acquired the very first um, instructions, blueprints, and I think centrifuge parts. Mm. So that program went on for at least 14 years or so, unbeknownst, at least to the public, maybe even unbeknownst to the uh, the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency watchdog of the United Nations for uh, nuclear programs around the world. Um, I don't know if unbeknownst to all of the intelligence services, there's no way to know that. But until August of the year 2002, publicly, Unknown, and that's the the time, the month when uh, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, umbrella democratic uh, Iranian, the largest, oldest, most dedicated of the Iranian opposition groups, 
uh, uh, held two simultaneous press conferences, one in Paris where they're headquartered, one in Washington, D.C., to blow the lid essentially off of Iran's nuclear weapons program. And that is the first time, including satellite overhead photography, which was available online. Uh, they revealed the presence, the existence of Natanz, that's the centrifuge facility, the enrichment facility, uh, other places, uh, Iraq, um, uh, the um, the heavy water uh, reactor mm -hmm. and other places and more revelations followed that. So the world came to know that there was uh, a clandestine Iranian nuclear weapons program and had been for all those years pr uh, prior to that. Uh, then the, the regime mounted a, a, a strong disinformation campaign. I mean, what else were they going to do at that point? Right. Uh, to 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 mislead the world, lead lead the IAEA and others astray to think, oh well, we we've been caught, so we're just going to shut it all down now. We're we're just going to close it all down. Well, of course they didn't do that. It was a disinformation campaign, and even you know certain levels of the United States uh, bought that 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 story, uh, which of course was not true, and it continued apace. Mm -hmm. Fast forward now to more of the current uh, the current day. Um, uh, and, and we had, of course, our President Obama uh, in his two uh, administrations back to back from uh, 2009 until uh, 2017. Uh, and uh, he, of course, is the one along with his um, senior uh, national security and State Department leadership like John Kerry, who negotiated the so-called Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, mm -hmm. or just the nuclear deal. Uh, which was a complete fallacy. First of all, nobody ever signed the thing. There's not a single signature on any page of the thing. Uh, neither was it passed or ratified in either uh, assembly, the, the, the majlis of, of Iran or the U.S. Senate, as a proper treaty should be, because it wasn't a treaty. Um, but basically, it, 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 it as uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel said, it, it, it paved the way. It was a glide path to an Iranian bomb, mm -hmm. even if you were just looking at the overt, uh, now revealed parts of, of that nuclear weapons program. Didn't even touch the clandestine program at the hidden away nuclear sites that were put off limits because of their nuclear or their military sites. Didn't touch the ballistic missile program that was... The, you know, the carrier to, 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 to launch such weapons um, didn't even touch uh, things like uh, Islamic Republic uh, support for Islamic terror around the region and, and many other things, American hostages at the time either, not included. So this is where we are now with uh, a new administration here in the United States that wants to turn back the clock yeah. um, to that deal and redo it. Now, one of the only problems is that the regime in Tehran has openly said they're not going to revisit or even reopen talks mm -hmm. unless all of the sanctions that President Trump uh, put on Iran or reimposed on Iran uh, when he pulled the United States out of that deal in May 2018, unless those are all removed. Um, plus the fact that in so many different regards, uh, the Iranian nuclear weapons program has now blown completely past limits that were actually stated, those that even were stated, you know, in, in the JCPOA, such as uh, the amount of enriched uranium, yeah. uh, the percentage to which that uranium is enriched, the stockpile of heavy water coming out of place like Iraq, 
the advanced centrifuges now um, being in, uh, installed and used, I mean, put online in places like Natanz, probably Fardal as well, um, and, and so on and so forth. Wow. So, so is, do you think it's, it's simply bravado and uh, showing themselves to have that power, that ability, that capability? Or do you think that Iran does want to actually destabilize the region? Um, is, is it all talk or do you think they want to? Oh, actually- no, no, no. I mean, here's the thing that is so hard for, for Westerners of a Judeo-Christian foundation, essentially, to, to, to grasp. Mm. And that is that the regime in Tehran, they are true believers in Islamic doctrine. They belong mm. to the Shiite branch of Islam. And within Shiite Islam, they are followers of the 12th Imam. As your listeners may know, there was a line of 12 Imams following down uh, after Muhammad and the 12th uh, a little boy, it is said, disappeared in the ninth century, uh, but he is the 12th and he's going to reappear someday. And they really, I mean, y- you can laugh all you like, but they believe this stuff. Hmm. Um, and he's going to come back and he's going to usher in the day of judgment, the end of times. Uh, and that then will trigger the return of the Mahdi, the Mahdi for both Sunnis and Shiites uh, is the messianic figure that, um, comes at the end of times, but for the Shiites has a specific identity. Unlike Sunnis, it does not have a specific name or identity. But for these Twelvers, that Twelfth Imam is the little boy, the Twelfth Imam who disappeared in the ninth century, and he's Mm -hmm. coming back. And um, so they really believe this, but they also think that he's going to lead the battles of the end time uh, that will destroy Break the cross and kill the pig. I'm sure your listeners have heard this. This is the, this is how they put it in, mm-hmm. in their words, quote, unquote, break the cross, kill the pig. Cross being Christians, pig, unfortunately, standing for Jews because the, the Quran is replete with references to Jews as the descendants of apes and pigs. Mm-hmm. Horrific stuff. Um, but, but, but this is what they believe will happen. And so if you actually believe, as they do, that your messianic figure will come and usher in a thousand years, hence millennialists, a thousand years of the rule of Islamic law mm. over the entire world. Uh, and and mm. here's the kicker. The Sunnis believe that the Mahdi will come back whenever the Mahdi is ready, much as Christians believe uh, that Jesus Christ will return to earth at the end of time. But whenever Jesus Christ decides that it's time to come back not up to anybody else. It would be his decision. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what Sunnis believe about the Mahdi. But the Shiites, the Twelvers, uh, on the other hand, believe that they can accelerate the return of the Mahdi to earth if they instigate enough chaos and strife and warfare on earth that he will feel compelled to come back sooner than he otherwise might have. Okay. now put those beliefs. And yes, I know it sounds out there, but they do believe this at the top levels of the Mm -hmm. Iranian regime. No, not all the people. The people do not believe all this. But the top levels, the the, the Ayatollahs, the mullahs, the IRGC and, 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 uh, you know, Quds Force and Besiege, they believe this. Now, you put those beliefs, those millennialist 12 or kind of beliefs together 
with what we know now is an ongoing, unbroken program to obtain a deliverable nuclear weapon. And that's pretty frightening. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. No, that that um, th- that explains something. So it does. Can we actually continue along the Islam line? As as um, we, we I wanted to talk about big tech and and the cancel culture, but as as Biden's new press secretary says, we'll circle back to that if we can. Um, on on Islam, I I thought that actually uh, twenty twenty that certainly in the UK that our politicians and the people would understand the clash that we face between Islam and the freedoms that well we did enjoy. I don't know if we enjoy anymore, um, but that we enjoyed in, in the West. Uh, and, but then the rise of BLM and, and forcing a clash between black and white that certainly isn't there in the UK and doesn't really exist in much of, of Europe um was trying to whip that up and that's taken the focus away so i'm i'm wondering what how you see the the threat of islam in its form political islam or radical islam or however people want to uh, to touch on it uh, that is still there but yet the focus is on many other issues in our society so i wonder what your thoughts are on how we are going to face that and kind of when that's going to come. Well, first, first mention I would make is that there is only one Islam. There's nothing radical. There's nothing extreme. Uh, there is Islam. If it is of and from the Quran, uh, the Sunnah, meaning the Hadiths and the, uh, the, the biography of Muhammad uh, and the Sharia, that is called mainstream. It is called mainstream normative orthodox Islam, and it is taught to Muslim children at mother's knee across the entire world, including right here in the United States and certainly uh, over there across the pond, as we say. But uh, let's take another step backwards, if you don't mind, um, and go back to the 20th century and the 1917 revolution in Russia, uh, led by uh, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Uh, and the Bolsheviks, meaning uh, the larger Bolshe faction of Lenin's political party, the Mensheviks were the smaller of, uh, of those two factions. The Bolsheviks obviously won out. Uh, the revolution staged in 1917. Um, of course, the Tsar, Nicholas, and his entire family had already been overthrown and murdered. Uh, and now came the rise of the Bolsheviks. Well, what did the Bolsheviks want? They go back to the 1848 Communist Manifesto written by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. And in that manifesto, which is not very thick, it's, uh, I mean, you can buy it online as a paperback. It's, uh, it's a quick read, um, but it states very clearly what the objectives of communism are. Uh, they are to abolish all private property, to centralize all banking and credit functions in the hands of the state, uh, to uh, centralize in the hands of an authoritative a centralized state, um, all means of production. Uh, that means all business, uh, all business ownership. And uh, there are others, other objectives. Um, that is what Lenin and, and his crew, his Bolsheviks, embraced and believed in, and Stalin who followed and on down. Now, what happened? They tried to export that revolution uh, very soon uh, after they took power. Um, and they formed something called the Soviet Comintern. Comintern means Communist International. 
And that's one way, by the way, uh, in which communism differs radically from fascism or Nazism, which are long gone. Um, this is not, uh, this is uh, Marxism. This is mm. Leninism. So the, the communist international first thought that they could export the revolution to Germany. They thought it'd be the most likely place, the most vulnerable. And uh, they sent Antifa, anti-fascist forces to Germany. And there they took the name in German, Antifascistische Aktion. That's what they were called. That's Antifa. And they were the black shirts uh, who fought on the streets of Germany, other places in Europe too, against the brown shirt Nazis and fascists. But in Germany, they lost. They got beaten because the rise of the Nazis, the rise of Hitler was underway and they, they lost. They got kicked out of Germany. Where did they come next? Now, they did go to other places in Europe, yes, including Britain. They came to the United States and they brought Antifa to the United States no later than the 1930s. That's how long it's been here. And they also brought an infiltration uh, playbook, um, uh, a, a, a blueprint for how to infiltrate all of our institutions, meaning academia, meaning popular culture, meaning uh, our government at every level from, you know, the lowest, uh, I don't know, city council on up to the U.S. Congress. Um, faith communities were infiltrated. Um, the media, obviously, this is a big one. And, and here we go with the, the, um, the conquest, literally the conquest by forces of Marxism of all of our modern means of, of communication. So all that went on sort of under the radar and people may not have noticed, although, I mean, if you go back in, in U.S. history, we certainly had a very strong effort against communism uh, in the 1950s and maybe up to the early 1960s with our House on Un-American Activities Committee that held hearings, and then also Senator Joseph McCarthy hearings, uh, committee hearings on the Senate side of our Congress. Mm. Um, the FBI in those days was strongly um, uh, geared up to go after communists. It was a serious effort in this country. Nevertheless, they had thoroughly infiltrated uh, the, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration during World War II, well, from way before World War II, when he was still governor of New York, is when that infiltration began. By the time uh, Roosevelt became president, he was completely co-opted by communists. But that, that's, that's setting the scene of how this was all going on when maybe we weren't paying attention. Um, to fast forward then up to the present day, all of these institutions of ours and, and probably lots of yours too, have been infiltrated and, and taken over by Marxists, yep. communists. Um, and, and how do you know them? You know them by their agenda. And uh, you know them because they seek to forcibly or at least coercively redistribute wealth that is a hallmark of communism, the redistribution of wealth. By what? By progressively um, incremental taxation. Um, you, you, but, but, but there are different phases to communism, right? You begin uh, in their minds. They would say it began with feudalism. Then you got to communism for the accumulation of wealth. Mm. Because how are you going to redistribute wealth if you don't make it first? But then you go to socialism and start taking it all away and redistributing it. And then finally, communism supposed to be, you know, the ultimate expression of, of this utopia, uh, utopia vision. 
Uh, but that that's where we are now. And so when we're talking about what we're looking at, at in, in the current day, we certainly have Antifa reemerged, uh, violent. They're still wearing black, aren't they? Black block, yeah. they're sometimes called on our streets anyway, probably over there too. And then the Black Lives Matter movement, which was founded, I, I suppose people know this, by three self-avowed um, African-American Marxist women, uh, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Cullors, who came out of uh, the the communist Marxist, mm. and, and, and this is important now, Maoist, because the leadership of the communist movement worldwide now has shifted to Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party, although the roots ideologically are Marx, Lenin, Moscow. Uh, today, the leadership is Beijing. So these three women uh, at BLM came out of Freedom Road Socialist Organization, which is a Maoist organization, and out of Liberation Road, another an offshoot of it, Maoist. Um, and uh, the network of organizations that they formed uh, works very closely together with Antifa, certainly on the streets we see them, but what you don't see always, but sometimes get a glimpse of, is when organizations like James O'Keefe's Veritas, Project Veritas, gets yeah. you know, in indoor filming, yeah. secret filming of, of some of their meetings. They're, they're holding meetings and training sessions together in classrooms, mm-hmm. also in gyms, by the way, Antifa and BLM. And then the third element of the current, the, uh, the, the, the red, the black, the green axis, of course, is Islam. And here in the United States, uh, the vanguard of the Islamic movement is the Muslim Brotherhood and its many, many front groups. And they, if you go, I mean, just go to their social media pages, uh, their, their, their online web pages, and they're plastered with, with um, um, statements of support for the Black Lives Matter movement. So that's what you've got. You say, well, these three are not totally ideologically the same, are they? No, they're not. But but they're aligning in this axis for the immediate opportunistic goal of tearing down America and more broadly, tearing down the West and, and the foundational principles of the West, which go back, as I said earlier, to Judeo-Christian foundations. Um, I agree with you. What you mentioned at the beginning about Islam being one. And I agree. I know that Lord Pearson uh, in the House of Lords, when he raises questions, he has been strongly encouraged to use Islamism. And has complete and to not use Islam, and therefore to talk about political ideologies as opposed to religion. But whenever he asks what is the basis of Islamism, uh, the clerks in the House of Lords aren't very sure. So Lord Pearson happily points out, could it be the Quran and therefore is religious? So this whole confusion of trying to get away is something which we face and actually has meant restrictions on even members in in Parliament being able to ask questions. Um, but you, one thing you talked about was that alliance, that strange alliance that we have off the left in Islam. And recently, well, recently, a year ago, actually that started to fracture for the first time on, on the ground uh, in our culture whenever it was a debate in a school about uh, uh, LGBT teaching in a primary school. And, of course, the left were very happy for this. It was in a Muslim area, and many of the Muslim parents withdrew their children. And immediately you have this clash. And it was interesting watching Labour, the Labour Party, or left-wing political party here, trying to understand, do they actually back the left and the LGBT lobby, 
or do they back Muslims and their right to take out? And on that side, they sided with the left. But I wonder how long it will be before that alliance, certainly on the ground in our cultures, before that fractures and they realize actually they can no longer be together. Well, here in the United States, and I, I think probably uh, in Britain and, and other places in Europe, too, um, they have an easy way around that. The, the, the kids don't go. Muslim kids go yeah. don't necessarily go to our public schools. They may, um, but, but they very often either also go, like on weekends perhaps, or instead of go to um, madrasas, to, to Islamic centers. We have uh, well over 3,000 Islamic centers around the United States, and an Islamic center means it's not just a mosque but has other facilities attached to it, like a madrasa. Yeah. And so uh, the kids are going there, um, perhaps you know, uh, only on, on, for weekend instruction, but, but perhaps full-time too. That was something which came up recently that, uh, again, sorry, sorry, but Lord Pearson had asked questions about the number of madrasas and what is taught in them in the UK. And it seems to be that we have around 2,000 mosques, 1,900, 2,000, and nearly every mosque has a madrasa. Some of those are very large. Some of them are only a few hours a week. But the question was, what has been taught in these madrasas and has the government made any assessment to understand what is being taught and because they teach under 18 hours a week then they are outside the system where they can be checked or looked into by the government so there is no checking no one trying to look into anything that's taught it's a closed box um, I wonder is what is it like in America has there been any assessment or will to understand what has been taught there and to try and regulate it or pull back on that? No, not officially at all. No. Um, uh, you know, parents um, or, or people in the neighborhoods of such places may um, look into that or be concerned about that. But here, here's another way that we have of, of finding out what's taught. Um, and and that, that is that um, some of their textbooks are openly available on the internet. Um, you can buy them. I, I buy them and, and, and I actually read them. And um, from what I've seen of such textbooks, um, they are completely aligned with the one true um, mainstream normative uh, authoritative Islam. And any Islam is uh, officially authoritatively orthodox if it aligns with the Quran, the Sunnah, the Sirah, uh, and and Sharia. If it does not accord, align with those then you can say that's that's not really genuinely Islam. That is some other version that somebody made up. But if it aligns with Quran, Hadith, Sirah, and Sharia, that's Islam, period, full stop. And these textbooks um, that are available online um, do align, uh, geared you know, by the age level, by the grade level, um, but they very much align uh, with what is in the Quran, which I've read. I hope many people have the Hadith, which are uh, voluminous. And of course, I've read some of those. The Sirah, that means uh, the Sirah Rasulallah, which is the biography of Muhammad. That's not a terribly long read. I've read that. You can get through that pretty quickly. And then, of course, Sharia, which is um, a collection of laws, Islamic law. 
Um, let me recommend um, one more little book um, to to your uh, your followers, your your, yeah. uh, your viewers there, if I might. And this was something published uh, in the United States at the end of 2019 uh, by Dr. Stephen Kirby, K-I-R-B-Y, Dr. Stephen, spelled with a P-H, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Kirby. And it's called Islamic Law Versus the U.S. Constitution. And uh, what Dr. Kirby did uh, is take... um, a number, I think it was six, of our uh, amendments to our Constitution. You, you may know that the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, we call the Bill of Rights. And uh, there are more amendments after that, but those first 10 uh, were the initial ones. And they they um, uh, encode uh, the, the, the protection of the liberties that we hold most dear. And so Dr. Kirby addressed some of those, the first Amendment, which of course uh, guarantees uh, the freedom of uh, speech and press and religion and assembly and the right to redress uh, of grievances with the government. Five liberties in the First Amendment. The Second Amendment we have, which is the right to bear arms, the individual right to bear arms, carry weapons, and be armed. Uh, the Fourth Amendment, I think we did the um, what else? The sixth, fourth, uh, fourth one, by the way, is the freedom from unreasonable search and seizure. The cops cannot just burst into your house without a warrant from a judge, uh, which which uh, is is a very important one. And then what else did we do? The sixth um, and one more. I think it might have been the fourteenth. Um, essentially, equality of all citizens before the law. In any case, he took all of these and juxtaposed them. Uh, against uh, Islamic law. I think that'd be an interesting read. And again, not a a very thick book, easy to get through, easy to read, available online, Dr. Stephen Kirby, um, Islamic Law versus the U.S. Constitution. Um, And I'm just looking at it. It is available. So um, 7.70 on paperback I can see online. So I'll certainly get a hold of that and we'll put that out in our Monday email to our supporters and, and let them know that's a a good book to read, but I'll certainly get hold of that. Thank you very much, Claire. Mm-hmm. Can you talked about, um, well, looking at is, Islam at the beginning spread by the sword, and uh, that's mm-hmm. how it, it expanded um, through military conquest. Uh, now we have, I think the latest figures in the UK comparing the demographic changes are in the last over 10-year period, the national population has gone up by around 11% and the Muslim population has gone up by 111, so 10 times. So we are seeing big change in the demographics and lots of our local authorities becoming majority Muslim and then everything that comes with that, with the demand for call to prayer and more Muslim schools and all of that. But we're also seeing immigration and immigration often from more Muslim countries. So do you think that means that Islam, just by the demographics and immigration, it, it no longer needs to use any violent elements to actually progress and expand? Because through those two, it, it can really expand and take over. Well, demographics is certainly a very important uh, means of expanding Islam. I don't think that necessarily means that violence will not be used also. There are so many different 
um, uh, you know, uh, elements within Islam to include the most violent uh, and kinetic of the Islamic terror groups like Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, Taliban, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and, and they will always still try to commit atrocities of, of Islamic terror. But demographics is important in any civilization that values its own history, its own foundational principles. Um, as I like to think we, we patriots, American patriots here in America do. And of course, our foundational principles come from, uh, from over there, from, from the continent and, and your um, enlightenment philosophers, um, including many British. Um, if you treasure those things, if you value those things, um, you're going to ensure that not only are they taught to your children and that your public schools include such things in the curriculum, but you will also take care that anyone you invite or permit to come into your country, um, whether it be even on a visit or to settle to become you know, a permanent resident, that such persons uh, are thoroughly vetted for their beliefs, yes, for their beliefs, um, for their convictions, for their Weltanschauung, if you will, their worldview. Um, this is not wrong to ask of people um, who want to come and live in our countries. Um, and, and the important thing is for the preservation, if we value the preservation of our foundational principles, as we do here in America, individual liberty, um, uh, the equality of all and human dignity before the rule of law, the rule of man-made law, though it be Judeo-Christian based, but man-made law in parliaments, in Congress like us. Mm. Um, if you value these, what we call first things principles, uh, then you will take care that anyone who comes to live with us also commits to embracing those things, mm. commits to um uh, a, a, a a desire to live uh w- with and under those principles and if they do not then perhaps this isn't the community for them to come to well i think the the sad state of the west has been that when we have invited people in we have allowed them or encouraged them to bring their own culture and change ours where uh, often when we from the West travel elsewhere, you need to fit into that culture. So we've had a very confused understanding of how immigration can work and how people fit in. So, yeah, it's very strange. I, I put just, I've uh, put that book in the comments there, Islamic Doctrine versus the US Constitution, uh, published 19th of November 2019 by Stephen Kirby. So the details are there in the in the chat, but also we'll put it in the email out on Monday. So you'll get that. Can we... We've only got another 10 minutes or so, so let, let's circle back. Let's look at uh, cancel culture. I, I saw that, I think, Pamela Geller had been just taken off uh, Twitter, and right. obviously she's one of the uh, most well-known, most vocal individuals on Islam and, and that clash that we face in our society. Um, and she's obviously been taken off, and she's one of many, and this will continue. So where... How far do you think? Obviously, there are two. One is, I guess, in the big tech world with the, the clampdown on any conservative voice 
on any voice on the right that doesn't fit in with where they want to go in partnership with a, a Biden administration. So where do you see this going? Um, and my worry is over four years um, under Republicans, actually, we are not any better on in regards to the right having platforms to put out a message that everything is relying on organizations that are extremely to the left and now they're getting their revenge on those on the right. Well, you know, I I, I spoke at the beginning here about uh, the seizure of our institutions of society here in America and elsewhere, this is true as well. And among those institutions, of course, is media. And that means a radio, it means TV, it means, um, you know, Hollywood uh, or, or, you know, the film industry, movies. Uh, and it certainly means social media. Um, and many of us now here would, would argue that at least here in the United States, our laws and our legal system uh, have not kept up uh, with, with the, uh, the aggrandizement, the, 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 uh, the building of, of, of the massive uh, power of social media tech giants like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google and so forth um, to the point that uh, it is being looked at now, but of course uh, fighting against an institution already institutionalized, right? Um, but but to the effect that these uh, organizations, though, though they're private companies, they have reached the state of being a public utility. Um, and, and in that sense, like, I don't know, water or electricity or um, natural gas, maybe um, one of these things that um, they have reached the point where they need to be reclassified legally as a public utility and regulated thereby. And ordinarily, um, we conservatives, uh, as I include myself among um, are against uh, a lot of government overreach or, or additional regulations. But in this case, it has gotten so far um, that literally these are Marxists. Okay, Let, let's be upfront about it. These are Marxists which control these um, social media institutions. Um, they have seized power uh, in, in a way that, that, that begs um, to be regulated in this particular case as a public utility. Uh, and of course, it happens in universities. I mean, in the UK, we've had the long march through the institutions probably started in the 60s through our educational establishments, through our healthcare establishments, and then wider and wider. Um, that's why we are in the mess we are today. And obviously, in and I talked to a friend actually who was in politics in, in UKIP, so on the right of politics, and he started university and he said he had to cut off all of that couldn't do anything on that because he would lose his place on his university course and I assume in America it's the same and even more than that actually the the restrictions on um, organizations having debates or debating societies I I read a few days ago about a university that um, they now have passed a rule that anyone who comes to speak at the university must submit their speech uh, one week beforehand uh, so that the university can decide whether they come or not. And that's the end of any debate and understanding of ideas. And it's this is the accepted orthodoxy and you must fit into that. So I get that is just going to get worse and worse over there in the States. 
It sure feels like it. And, um, you know, uh, for a long time, we Americans thought ourselves well protected by our First Amendment that I mentioned earlier to our Constitution, which is mm. unlike anything that you all have in Britain or Europe. Um, and, and, and we thought ourselves protected because uh, it protects the, the freedom of speech, uh, as well as those other freedoms in the First Amendment I mentioned. But the thing about the First Amendment is it is written to protect the people against tyrannical overreach by the government. And our founding fathers, um, as, as you'll understand, uh, feared most a centralized uh, tyranny uh, that would control their lives uh, from, a, from a centralized authority point of power. And so that is why we American upstart colonials um, uh, distributed power in a federalist kind of a system um, it, throughout originally the, the, the first colonies, later became states, uh, and states' rights. States have a strong, uh, in our system, a, a, a strong um, uh, set of, of, of uh, authority. Um, that, that, that sets them uh, independent from the central authority even of, of the federal government. Um, and so we thought, well, that, that'll take care of it. And now we are seeing, I mean, what the founding fathers and, and earlier, uh, you know, in, in, in Europe or Britain either, could ever have imagined, um, you know, with the modern uh, technology that we have in terms of social media online and, you know, web-based uh, communications, they, they couldn't have imagined or cell phones. Um, and uh, so, you know, they, they, they couldn't have foreseen that, but that's where we are now. And it is private companies taken over by Marxists uh, that, that have become the tyrants. Um, and, and, and so we have to figure out, um, you know, uh, what our foundational documents really mean. What, what does our declaration of independence mean? Uh, all men are created equal. Well, are conservatives the equal of liberals? Um, we say yes, they are, and they have the right to the same free speech so long um, as it is not, you know, within certain guidelines, a imminent, imminent, immediate, um, you know, call to violence or, or, or such things. But, but in general, um, we, we have to get back to, uh, I, I'm speaking as an American here, but have to get back to our foundational principles, which speak of individual liberty and the equality of all of us before the law. We are losing that right now. And somehow we patriot citizens have to figure out how to uh, bring that back to our republic. Wow, yeah. Um, I'm looking at the time, but I, I want to just ask one thing, uh, finish off with what's happening, pushing back some of the issues that we've talked about that seem to engulf our society. Can I can I ask you about Lopez Liberty and what your plans are? Uh, I guess you're looking at education about helping the, especially Americans of US-based, understanding the issues we face so they can challenge that and tackle that. But what are your plans for that going forward? Well, in particular, it's a continuation of my focus on national security issues, and those include both um, foreign um, national security threats as well as domestic. Uh, and so I do that through a lot of speaking, uh, teaching, uh, webinars, more webinars than ever before in my life, <laughs> um, as all of us, I suppose. 
Um, but, but those kinds of educational efforts, as well as my writing and publication uh, at, at a variety of outlets. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining us. It seems to be a, a whirlwind trip. Uh, we haven't had you on before, and there are so many areas to touch on. Um, but I would encourage our viewers to go and follow you on Twitter. Your Twitter handle is there and on Facebook. And who knows, you might be back up in parlor soon. So uh, I'd encourage our viewers to go. It's um, I, Looking through your tweets, it's fascinating some of the areas you brought up and highlighted. And it gives, a, I think, a, a window on to America of the issues you face. So Thank you so much for giving us your time this evening or this oh, afternoon with you. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be with you and uh, with your audience. I appreciate it very much. Oh, fine. Let me just finish off with our viewers before I let them go. So just hang on there for a minute, Claire. Um, so uh, we are with you on Saturday with the week according to Neil McRae and giving a weekly update, our usual Saturday weekly news update. So tune in for that at eight o'clock. And on Monday, it's wonderful that we have Jack Possebeach joining us, who is a American political commentator and works with OAN, One American Network, that along with Newsmax there are the two places where you can actually get proper news from a US-based source. So he'll be joining us on Monday looking at the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and how it's uh, infiltrated our institutions. And just over the weekend, we've seen about the infiltration in British universities um, with hundreds of individuals being exposed for working with the Chinese government in our universities and obviously as uh, in our research development labs in the universities and obviously passing that information back to China. So um, tune in on Monday for Jack. Uh, another another with many Americans coming on. We had uh, Pastor Robert Laird known a week ago from Florida and we've had Claire this evening and Jack with us on Monday. So we'll have to get back to a British viewpoint soon. But Claire, once again, uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. It's been wonderful to hear things from your viewpoint and look forward to watching you and watching uh, Lopez Liberty move forward and seeing how you challenge the, the status quo that we face. Thank you again very much. Thank you. And we'll just say goodbye to our viewers, wherever you may be. Enjoy your Thursday and on into your weekend. And I have a good weekend. Um, it's very cold here. It's It's one of the coldest uh, winters that we've had recently, but look forward to seeing you on Saturday with Neil McRae. So thank you very much and good night. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.